Welcome to Susan Harmon Experience. She here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio, and we are about to leap into leap year. Uh, so, for all of those who were born on February 29th, happy birthday! <laughs> so, uh, it is an interesting, interesting times in which we live. And um, I am very, very, very seriously, very excited uh, to welcome my guest, uh, somebody I really enjoy talking with, Olga Martin. How are you today, Olga? I'm very well, thank you, Susan. How are you? I'm amazing. I'm just an amazing woman. There's just no getting around it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, for those of you who don't know, Olga has, has had... A very interesting life, and you might a lot of you wouldn't know who she was, and some of you would. Um, she and I met under interesting circumstances uh, in Phoenix, and uh, there was an immediate attraction. And I, I think you would agree with me, wouldn't you, Olga? That we feel like there's uh, other life connection to Def- that. Yes, definitely. Because it was such an intense. Uh, knowing of each other. Uh, why am I blanking? We just had this conversation earlier today, and I blanked on his name then. Now I'm blanking on it now. An Keith. incredible man. Keith. Keith. Um, I can't remember. Bearing, uh, but no. Yeah, he uh, has, he's a gong. He does, has this amazing, amazing gong. For those of you uh, who know me, you know I'm into sound and I work with sound, and I'm kind of a snot about it. You know, I mean, I'm like, okay, you know, I see these people like, well, this note goes with this chakra and all this kind of nonsense. This man is so amazing. It's so, so amazingly nice for me to be able to just lay back and let the sounds of his gong and the other instruments he used just wash over me and just enjoy somebody else doing something that I felt and again, a little snotty of me, but I felt was as good as my work. And I, I really appreciate him. Um, and I will get his last name shortly. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he um, he was doing this and Olga was there and I was there and we strongly connected. Um, I think we connected because your daughter started talking to me. I think that's true. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, could you tell our audience a little bit of why that's significant? Well, um, November 16th, uh, my daughter's in, of 2015, Zoe's body was found in the garbage in Denver in a uh, Mexican ghetto. Um, she had the colors of the, Mex- of the Mexican flag splashed on her body in acid or in some caustic liquid. And um, she was barely 22 years old. And her life just was cut short by the involvement she had with these, um, I don't know what the right adjective is, uh, horrifying people, you know, drug people. That's correct. And and your beautiful daughter, uh, her death just spun you into a downward spiral. 
Oh, horribly. I was contacted by someone that she was associated with through Facebook Messenger. His name, he called himself Monster Mike, um, and I won't give his last name, but, um, you know, he asked me to move drugs for them, and it terrified me to the core. I, um, you know, had gone to meet him because I wanted to know whatever he knew about my daughter and what had happened to her. But um, it was pretty awful just uh, knowing the depth of what she had gotten involved with at 21, 20 years old when it's when she started. I don't even know exactly. Well, you know, it's interesting to me because um, you did not grow up in the ghetto and your daughter did not grow up in the ghetto. You you lived um, what appeared to be a really good life. However, you dealt with domestic violence, and that leaves its scars. You've dealt with that as a child, and your daughter dealt with that as a child. Yes, it's very traumatic, especially for children. Well, you know, they say, uh, tr and it's true, they, they've done studies that show children who witness violence are impacted just as greatly and sometimes more greatly than those who experience it. Sure, because they're so helpless. They're helpless onlookers, mm -hmm. if that's the right word. Yes, yes. And and I love the fact, you know, the name Zoe, I've always loved that name, and so few people have it. But um, I love the fact that uh, of what her name means, it's a Greek name, but in English. It means life. Yes. And I find that amazing that you that there's this understanding and this energy. And I know that you um, you started moving your misery and unhappiness into areas to try to help other people. I did, and I, that would be my greatest, um, you know, mission. But, you know, it's more about educating people about addiction, I guess, is a good place to start so that the stigma can be a little bit erased. It's just that's what cripples people, the stigma. It, it truly does. And, you know, there's so much that's coming forward now. You were you were pretty much cutting edge uh, on the forward edge of the Me Too movement, the, you know, this thing of, of, of women empowering themselves and standing up and saying, okay, this is enough. Uh, which brings me to some news that happened this week. I think we should share with the audience who may not have heard about it, may have. Harvey Weinstein was convicted on two out of five charges. Um, rape, and it's amazing to some of uh, some of us, the powerful men that get away with doing the things they do. And and when you threaten somebody with their livelihood, with their dreams, when when a woman is uh, an actress or a, a comedian or somebody in show business, and these things happen, and they say, if you say anything, you do anything, you will not get work. You'll never work in this town again. We say that as a joke, but it's not a joke when it happens to you. It, it's terrible. My company actually represented Miramax back in the 80s when I worked in the New York office of a large entertainment PR firm and then uh, transferred to the New York uh, LA office. And he was a big client. And you know, one of my coworkers went to work for him, made a career at Miramax, but uh, you know, he was always difficult, and but this this takes it to a whole other level. Um, 
his behavior and what he's gotten away with. He's going to be tried in Los Angeles as well. Correct. Correct. Um, you know, uh, it just recently, of course, uh, Misty's parents were probably looking for compensation for themselves, but my friend Misty Upham, uh, who died uh, several years ago, um, was raped by someone in his company uh, at the Oscars oh. uh, in her ball gown. Okay. And uh, that never came that never came out in public, but she did tell me about it. And um, it is interesting to me um, that there are women who have been raped more than once. It's it's almost as an energetic thing sometimes. Do you do you think that's correct in in some way? Well, I think chaos attracts chaos, doesn't it? There you go. Yeah, I think you're right. And you lived in chaos for quite a lot, quite a long time. I did. It would look like privilege in Beverly Hills from the outside, but correct. there was so much. So much uh, turmoil and abuse and unfortunately um just not not too um not too much hope and my husband was a zoe's father was a brittle alcoholic he ended up passing away in 2012 of cirrhosis and his daughter had died previous to zoe about four years or so she barely made it to 30 um his first child from his first marriage. So it was a very brittle addiction um, that permeated our household, um, unfortunately. You know, I, I find it interesting because uh, we, we had drugs in our family too, but different people respond differently. And I think part of it is uh, your chemical makeup that you, that's, you know, your body. Part of it is the things that you that you learn and that you see. Part of it is how you respond to what you see and what you learn. So there's there's layers and levels. So you know, for instance, like with the homeless, I always think, well, you know, they're out on the streets because they're drunks and drug addicts. Well, I know a lot of homeless people that never had a drink of alcohol until they were out on the streets, and there's this illusion of staying warm because you're drinking alcohol. Mm -hmm. you, you feel like you're warm. It really doesn't help, but it feels like it. It also reduces your um, upset. It, 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 it calms you, you know, that, that uh, alcohol, just that fuzz, you know, that blur. Glazes. You don't have to deal with things. Yes, it glazes things over a bit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. It's self-medicating also for many people. Yes, Absolutely. And, but, it, you know, people want it to be simple. They want everything to be simple. Well, this girl, yeah, she grew up with, with affluence around her, but she just didn't know how to handle it, and this is what she did. And blah. It, Nothing is ever one thing. That's one of the things I've discovered. It's never just a thing that happens. No, it's very cumulative, and it's, and it's genetic, and it's a lot of things, environmental, but, um, you know, it's conditioning because we see things as a young child that register. I don't know if you've ever heard this is a, an off topic, but they say that young girls by the age of four have made a picture in their minds of who they're going to marry, the kind of man that they're going to marry by four. You know, so it's just that's how impressionable the young mind is. And when it witnesses all kinds of um, 
horror or you know to bad behavior at best um you know it's we're, we're what's going to do for, with that but that's what they know you know well isn't it uh, i think i remember reading it at one point that most of the things we know are wired into our brains by age two i mean just you know your basics that it like around age four two for instance that's the best age for a child to start learning languages because they can learn multiple words for the same thing at the same time and store all that information. So whereas I would say chair, and that's to me, that object, that's the name of it. But if you said it uh, in English and then in Spanish and then in Chinese and then Swahili and all, and you knew all those words for that same object, that would stay with you. It's wired in. Yeah, I learned English at the age of uh, between five and or so. I was um, when I went to kindergarten. Mm-hmm. So, um, and it, you were a little sponge, right? Pretty much, yes. That's well, yeah. Because aren't you a Cuban descent? Didn't you come here as a Cuban refugee? Yes. At the, well, I was very fortunate that my grandfather was an American who was born in St. Louis and raised in San Francisco. So we were expedited out of the country. He kept his American citizenship. So mm-hmm. I was in Havana but we left within a month or so or two um, after the Cuban Missile Crisis I can't really remember you know I not only not remember but I can't piece it together we um, you know I grew up here I was here from the time I was an infant but the pride or whatever the right word is um, it's the Cubans really don't like to assimilate very well <laughs> you know <laughs> Really want they to keep they they kind of keep to themselves. The Russians are a lot like that. Yeah, and they want things to be adapt to them. They don't really want to adapt, you know, to. And in, in my experience, I remember a legislation that came up when I was sixteen. Um, you know, I left home at seventeen, left school, and moved to New York City. But um, they wanted to change all of the parking. Um, it was going up on the ballot to change. They wanted that to go on the ballot. I don't know if it ever did that all the parking signs and everything would be bilingual. Well, in Spanish, of course, they didn't think about Chinese or, or Russian. Except in, in Seattle, the other language on the ballots is Chinese, not Spanish. Really? Yeah, because of the large Chinese population that ended up in San Francisco, and it ended up there mainly because of the railroads. Huh. Interesting, huh? Very interesting. Yeah. So, you know, you look at different places. So what is normal in place in place A may be a little odd in place B. You know, there's just no uh, um, accounting for how so many of these things work. Uh, we uh, lived in Santa Fe, New Mexico for a long time. My older daughter in high school, because she was Anglo, started speaking English with a Spanish accent to fit in. <laughs> swear to you you know i mean it's that's interesting don't you think like yes well then you know we do adapt to our environment we start to slang and you know everything is what we're around you know absolutely microcosm of your universe yeah the macro and the micro and if you start looking at how things parallel you know what's happening you and i were talking earlier about um uh, what's going on astrologically in the world. And, of course, Cheryl will have her a report, uh, you know, 
regarding or, you know, has her report on regarding what's going on astrologically uh, for March. But, man, February, man, we've had all this stuff with Mars. We've had Mercury retrograde. Mercury goes direct, stationary direct on March the 10th. So even then, it's still going to have an impact. And one of the things Cheryl said to me a long time ago that just left a huge impression on me, it depends on what sign Mercury is on how it's going to impact you individually. Isn't that fascinating? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you said that this morning. I, I didn't know that. Yeah, see, I didn't know that either till Cheryl told me. Cheryl Hopkins, amazing astrologer. Actually, she and I met at Norwac, which was which was pretty interesting. But you, um, you, you instantly understood that because don't you? You have two signs in Pisces. Yes, Sun and Moon. Right, Sun and Moon. I have Sun in Pisces, and we. Um, you know, so we're both ruled by Neptune with that. And Neptune is doing so much. And then Mars interacting with all of that. All of these things have an impact on us, whether we're aware of them consciously or not. But they're going to impact some groups of people differently than others, mm-hmm. depending on where it hits you in your in your natal chart. Mm-hmm. So that's fascinating. I mean, and you're, you know, so... All of the work that you have done, you introduced me to a woman who wrote a book about suicide as well that was that was really, uh, really good and how to deal with the loss of other people. I'm trying to remember that well, lady's name. Marie Savoy. Yes. What yeah. an amazing woman she is. She's a doll. We traveled together to a retreat for people who has lost, uh, you know, usually children or family members to um, addiction. And, uh, but her son did commit suicide at 20, I think, or something like that. Very, very young. Mm-hmm. Very, yes. She has two beautiful daughters, though, thank God, and a wonderful husband. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know, there's almost, almost everyone has been touched by addiction or, or mental illness in one way or another. I don't disagree with that in any way shape or form i mean we you know have this conversation all the time with people too regarding um medicare for all for example i don't know any person who doesn't have a relative or close friend who is not impacted on how insurance affects their lives and that affects the insurance for addiction as well. Uh, up till just recently, you could get insur- your insurance to pay for a four-week, a six-week, maybe an eight-week thing. And those are useless. They're absolutely useless. And most of what they do is useless uh, unless you're doing something long-term and you're hitting it on all cylinders. You're hitting the physiology of it. You're hitting the emotional aspect of it. You're hitting the lifestyle apps. Do you know what I mean? You cannot deal with that unless you're hitting all cylinders. That's true. I lived more than 20 years in Los Angeles. It's kind of the rehab capital. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So very, very true. (laughs) Yes. And, you know, we have promises in Malibu where it's, I think, I don't know, $40,000, $60,000. I don't even know how much. It's a lot of money. It's a lot of money, and it doesn't necessarily work. And no. now there's a sober living. I don't know how much you know about that, but there's a lot of fraud with um, insurance and sober living yep. homes and not helping people 
when it's such a critical time after they've been in treatment to walk that path. And, you know, people are in it for the money because there's so much money in it. There's so much money in it. And I'm going to go take a little, which we often do a little sidestep here about just the medical profession alone. A friend of mine uh, found a group on Facebook. Uh, she gets dialysis. And she's got something like, she's something like it at 30%. This woman that started this Facebook group, her husband was like at 3% on the dialysis. I mean, we're talking at death's door. She started really working, investigating, and found all the things that diet can do and brought him up to 70%. Wow. So with diet, now there's a large group of them. There were three different women that my friend was talking to who work in the medical profession and they work in dialysis and they are not allowed to mention anything about diet hmm. at all and do you want to know why they want to keep you sick for the money <laughs> they exactly they're willing to let you suffer and die so they can make money yeah it's and like as i recall and as i recall there's this thing called the hippocratic oath and what's the first line? She'll do no harm, right? Yeah. First, you shall do no harm. Well, that's out the window. It's the same thing in our justice system. When you, you're not guilty of what you're being accused of, but they're telling you, look, if you just plead guilty to this lesser charge, you're, you'll get probation. You won't have to do it. You know, it'll be okay. Just go ahead and plead guilty. The first thing you have to do when you're standing before the judge is raise your hand and swear an oath that you are expecting nothing in return for this plea. You are forced to become an oath breaker. And we have accepted this, that oath breaking is legitimate. It's a standard now. You see what we have done to ourselves? Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, these are the kind of things. Well, we're not going to do this because this is the kind of treatment that we believe in. And I remember when my husband was had cancer and they were saying, if you do anything with herbals, we we won't treat you. We won't you. We won't take care of you. We won't do anything for you. Uh, yeah. So um, we have these insidious things that are contraindicated for good health and a healthy mind and a, and an honest judicial system and an honest uh, healing health system. We have a sick system in our country. We don't have a health system. We have a sick system. Yeah, it's, it's, and this cures for things like diabetes and so many illnesses. Exactly. It's so profitable in the average daily spending of a diabetic and the test strips and whatnot and the blood. And they raised the prices again just recently. Oh, yeah. Insulin has become very expensive, I've heard, I think. Yep. Um, and here's the interesting thing to this. I remember a few years ago when they said there's this big spike in diabetes. Well, you know what there actually was? There was a lowering of sugar level ratios to call it diabetes. So when your sugar levels were at point A, they got moved down to point E. I'm just arbitrarily using that. I don't know what it means. But what I'm saying is, is you don't have to have as high a sugar levels as you used to have. It's the same thing with high blood pressure. 
It used to, they used to say when you're in your 20s, your your systolic should be at like 120 and what, 75 or something, you know, 120 over 75. And then in your 30s, you can be in your one, in the 130s, you know, over 80, and then 140 when you're four, in your 40s, 150 when you're in your 50s. And then it leveled off at 160 in your 60s. Well, now they want everybody at 120. When your body has changed in many ways, do you think your blood pressure is going to stay the same? No. It's, but so, they're, they're but they can put you on pharmaceuticals, right? Yeah, there's more money in treatment. Here, take this pill and take, you know, what are these toxic, um, you know, uh, statins that are right. really harmful to people? But if my insurance company actually recommended my doctor prescribe something to me. Can you imagine? I do. I can't imagine, and I will. And I want to discuss this more as soon as we get back from break. Uh, I want to remind the audience that you are listening to Susan Harmon Experience. She and my guest, Olga Martin, and I will return right after the break. Stay tuned for more scintillating conversation. Are you ready to become comfortable in your own skin? The Vast Institute's encouraging curriculum is designed to infuse your world with optimism and creative life solutions. Our four pillars of learning provide a holographic toolkit taking you to the next level. If you're ready to experience a quality of life currently beyond your imagination, call us at 206-935-7872 or visit our website at vastinstitute.com to discover how to enrich your life at work or play. Welcome back to Susan Harmon Experience. Susan is here with her special guest, Olga Martin, and we have been talking about, well, we've been talking a lot about different things, about about life and about death and about addiction and about health and, and what we can do. We sometimes, you know, the world just seems overwhelming. Like, what can I do about this? These things are happening in my life. Uh, you know, I come out of a family where, uh, you know, you know, there was a lot of violence. There was sexual abuse. There was all of these things. Now I'm an adult and I have children. What do I do to make it different than what it was? And what can I do as an individual to impact on the society in general? Is that kind of where, where we're at with this, Olga? Well, and we were kind of the camaraderie of community, how important it is in getting people through crisis instead of the judgment, but more acceptance. You know, when something horrible happens in a, a person's life, the good friends that came over for all the parties, they're not necessarily around anymore. Oh, you know? heck no. Oh, heck no. So, um, you know, and, and I think that in my case, if I had had more support, um, you know, I didn't really have a lot of support. It was very, um, it's just really scary when you have a trauma and other mothers can help, you know, um, who have lost, nobody knows until they've walked that path. And, you know, siblings need support when they've lost someone, whether it's to addiction. It's very hard when a parent has one child who's active in addiction and has a younger child watching this behavior. It's very hard. So what do you do? Get proactive and take that child to Alateen or, you know, whatever is available to, I don't know, preempt the, the other child going in that direction, the younger child. You know, there's just so many aspects that... Um, that if people had more resources, I think, or, or more community or, you know, that they might fare better, you know? 
I totally agree. I mean, I know there's Facebook groups. I know there's some others. I know that one of the things that um, you work with is a choice to be positive, uh, Youth Health USA. I know that's one of the things you, one of the groups you work with, I believe, right? No, not so much. It was someone that I met in Phoenix who was uh, choose to be positive, but it's a great, um, you know, storytelling to help children um, learn, you know, to kind of empower them and mm -hmm. choice. Mm -hmm. um, but um, no, I, I've just, I've been involved with a, a woman who started not in vain. Her daughter was a beautiful young woman with two children, early twenties, whatever she was. And her daughter overdosed and PJ became extremely um, proactive. I met her in uh, October of uh, 2017. She had 40 or 60 mothers and today she has over 5,000. Wow, wow. Just grows exponentially every single year and you know. Every and, and each of those helps the next one. Is that basically, I mean, there's this, there's a network, a su support system. You know, you fall off the trapeze and you're bouncing in the net. <laughs> exactly. It's it's very helpful because it, the loss of a child is different from anything really else that you can experience. So um, other mothers that can show you that you can get through it because it's been three years for me or four years for, you know, um, it helps a great deal, I think. It does. And there are there there's different types of loss and they impact different people in in various ways so what what may work for one person in dealing with it may not work for somebody else but if you have a large support group it's pretty um it's easier let's just say it's easier when you hear someone else's story and it seems similar to yours for it to be able to assist you because people don't, um, they want to put a time frame on grief. Oh, or, there is no such thing. Or mourning, you know, there's two different things, but it doesn't work that way. And triggers are, you know, every day, um, something could spark a memory. And so, you know, only another person who's walked in those shoes can really relate to that and perhaps, you know, walk you through it that, you know, you'll get to the other side you know, of this. And the judgments that happen, everybody's doing the best they can. They don't know any differently, so that's where they're coming from, you know. But if we could educate people in a compassionate way to be more compassionate, you know, um, maybe we could come full circle with this um, annihilation that happens to people who are dealing with addiction or mental illness, you know. I totally agree with you. When I hear people say, well, I would never do that. Well, what difference does it make what you would or wouldn't do? And you have no idea because you are not in that situation. Instead of, I wouldn't do that, how about, what do you need from me to feel better? What can I do as your friend? Uh, or maybe just just sit there and listen to what people have to say. I, I'm one of those people who wants to fix things. Mm -hmm. So it took me a while to learn how to just shut up and let the other person talk. And sometimes that's all they need is just to get it out. You know, it uh, and to feel accepted or to not feel judged or criticized or right I'm because they're they're less than they're right. not as good as they should have done this or they should have done that. Well, if you'd only blah blah blah. Well, you know, first of all, it's too late for if you'd only. <laughs> it's done. Yeah. Should have, could have, would have, something else. You know. And his brother, what if, right? You know. <laughs> 
you, you can't you can't live that way. I remember years ago there was a a family they had a toddler and they had a new baby and the new baby the toddler was fascinated with the baby and they woke up in the middle of the night and the the toddler had the baby in the bathtub or something in scalding water. <gasps> oh. And did not, when the rescue people came and the mother was just totally just losing it, just out distraught, you know, and and she didn't, she didn't act the way they thought she should act. And well, she's in shock for one thing. She's in shock. She isn't you. And they said, well, no, the parents killed the child and blamed the toddler because the toddler couldn't pick up a baby that, that, and that just, you know, so on top of losing your baby by the actions of your toddler, you are accused of something you didn't do. Can you imagine dealing with that? Well, um, you know, when you lose a child, you're a bad mother. I mean, a lot of people are looking at you thinking, well, what did you do? Did you do why, wrong? Did, mm -hmm. why did you save her? Or what did you do to her that she ended up on the streets doing drugs, escorting, right. you right. know? Um, and it's just, I mean, it happens. It happens in good homes. It happens in dysfunctional homes. It happens. It happens everywhere. Yes. And, you know, I'm always telling people that I always talk about the law of attraction. I say you misuse the law of attraction because it isn't what the world gives you. It's what you do with what the world gives you that makes the difference. And when people talk about stages of grief, that also drives me crazy because it's not stages. It's waves. It comes and it goes. And you never know what will trigger you. I, my father died when I was 11. Uh, mm -hmm. My father was a uh, regular army. I was Army Counterintelligence. I was in college. And I was sitting there watching uh, TV with. Uh, uh, I was sitting there watching TV with some friends, and in this movie that we were watching, uh, they were playing Taps, and I lost it. Now my father had been dead for what eight or nine years at that point. Hmm. But the taps just sent me into listening to taps because they had played taps at my father's funeral. And it all flooded back everything, the argument of my mother and my grandmother, my father's mother at the gravesite. And the, do you know what I mean? Everything. Well, the trigger is it's phenomenal. You know, yeah. they say it could be a smell. It doesn't even have to be a large, overwhelming sign. It can be something, a nuance that can send right. it into a, a tailspin. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it, um, man, we just have to, we just have to know how to, you know, and, and learn how to love. What is the song? Uh, catching and releasing. That's what it is. Catch and release. And uh, and learn how to love is one of the lines in it. And it's it's definitely true. You know, is that is something that we need to do. We need to learn how to be loving with each other. And to ourselves. You know? Exactly. And it says that in the Bible. Love your neighbor as yourself. Well, if you don't love yourself, how are you going to love anybody else? Exactly. And I think that that's so. Uh, I know your mentor is, has been Howard um, Falco. Yeah, Howard Falco, and he was talking about that. We, we, I talked with him briefly about this, about how how you have to, you know, know who you are to be able to function properly. Exactly, and accept yourself with all of your foibles, and uh, you know, just we're we're all imperfect, trying to do the best we can. You know, and and I and I come at it from more of a, 
you know, if you look at Chinese art and Japanese art is very different. The Japanese, there's usually something that is just slightly askew, you know, to make the perfection of the art. Do you see what I mean? So with us, you know, there are people who actually think I'm bossy. Can you believe that? <laughs> you know, and I'm a sweetheart. <laughs> Just an opinionated sweetheart, that's all. I do have views, and they're very good views. <laughs> you know, so you can, but see, I'm also can laugh at myself. Do you know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. You have a right to your opinion, but. I'm right. You're wrong. <laughs> I've come to the point where I don't want to be right. I just want to be happy. Exactly. I, and I said that about five years ago. I would rather have peace than be right. Exactly. You know, it's like my neighbors across the street have very political views, very different, very, very different political views than I do. But they're good people. You know, and I look at the good things of who they are, you know? Yes. And that not that better? You look at their good points and, okay, so we don't agree on this. And, and I, you know, and it, and it does concern me, the inability to research and the ability to accept misinformation. Those are concerns of mine. Doesn't make them terrible people. But it works for them, you know, and so. Yeah, which is sad. But anyway, yeah, but it, you're, you're right. And who am I, who am I to say how they should or shouldn't behave? Exactly. What makes us right, you know, and them wrong? Well, I can tell you, but that's a whole other show. <laughs> now, now. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I've, I've referred to myself at one time as a recovering intellectual because once I won the argument, I would switch sides because I could do a better job than they did. <laughs> Presenting my argument. You know? Oh my! <laughs> it's a it's a nice mental exercise, you know. So if you can play with with ideas, if you can, you know, like examine them from multiple positions, I think it's uh, more of a growth experience to do that. Well, it certainly takes you out of your comfort zone, which is so important in growth. But, um, you know, acceptance is also the other part of it, is just to know that it takes a lot of different mentalities to, you know, formulate the world, you know, their own opinion. And then we just do the best we can accepting each other, you know. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, and that's Howard Falco is a great one for that. He wrote a couple of books, um, I Am and Time in a Bottle. And they're esoteric in a way, but they're just also very on point about um, just knowing who you are and then accepting who everybody else is, you know. And that's the key, isn't it? It is. You know, um, you you and I always have these wonderful discussions, but we're we're coming to the end of the show, and I kind of wanted to know what are any last words you'd like to leave people with? What would you like someone to know that will make their life work better for them? I just think that it's important to open your heart and not judge someone with when they're in grief or whether in trauma or crisis or you know going down in flames. You know, that's it. Um, 
you know, I if we don't have that, then we don't have anything, really, in my opinion. And that support in groups is so vitally important because when we ostracize ourselves because of the shame that accompanies our situation, that's a killer. You know? Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think that, um, you know, understanding that there's a sometimes people just need to let stuff out they need to, to do that things come at different points of time in different places you know i mean we're not all wired the same way and if you can step back out of your opinions and your views which you know it's a really good exercise and and i do i say that coming as somebody with very strong uh, viewpoints but i when i'm able to just step back out of it what me too. <laughs> exactly. I think that's why we like each other. But, you know, if I can step out of that and let whatever it is that's going on with you immerse myself in that and say, wow, I never looked at it quite this way. You know, then perhaps when I want to share with you something that I'm coming at from a different perspective, you'll be able to see it. I mean, one of the stories I tell uh, with people, because some stories, people will remember stories better than they will step A, step B, step C, step D, right? Mm -hmm. um, last year, I was taking laundry out of this little laundry basket I have on the floor. I never saw the scorpion, but it felt like a razor blade cutting through the pad of my thumb. And it hurt. Uh, the, the pain and the numbness went from my thumb down into my hand and probably six, eight inches above my wrist. And it was pretty intense. When I just kept rubbing that and saying, okay, I'm going to, you know, this, just loving myself and loving this. And then I had this epiphany and said, whatever it is in the scorpion venom that I needed, that's what I'm getting. There's nothing that happens to me that isn't for my best good. Mm -hmm. So there's something in there that is helpful for me. Thank you for that. And, you know, it's a blessing. Right. Non-resisting. Non yeah. Exactly. Just letting, letting it go and feeling it. And I'm like, okay. So then I, I mean, I have people saying it's going to be two weeks. It's going to be at least a week, week and a half before, you know, it's going to be, ah. Oh. But I didn't see it as a bad thing i saw it as an experience an experience that would help me i didn't have to know how or in what way right but by the next day there was still a little numbness in the pad of my thumb and by the following day it was gone right because you didn't fight it i yeah. didn't fight it i let it come and through. you didn't become a victim why me why did this have to happen and all exactly. that exactly exactly like i did uh my friend melinda rabine who's a wonderful filmmaker uh she uh was doing a little video you know um when she had done her movie asylum and she was doing a video on uh, people who had been raped or or had dealt with uh, domestic violence and um, so when they were starting with me to do, when I was one of the people on there, because I'd been raped in college, and uh, they said, well, as a survivor of rape, just say, uh, you know, I, uh, you know, you say your name, I'm Susan Harmon, I'm a survivor of rape. And I said that, and then I said, could, could we start over? That just doesn't feel right to me. It doesn't feel right to say that. 
He said, sure. I said, uh, I am Susan Harmon. I was raped. That does not define me. Exactly. I was raped also at 16, right. 15. Yeah. It's, it shifts how you, it shifts. Like, this isn't about the rapist. This is my life. And you don't have a right to have, have your dirty fingerprints on it. Exactly. I'm not defined by my job or about what I did or what right. happened to me, any of those things. No, that is not what defines me. My joy, my life, my, my, my you know, my day-to-day experiences, those, those, can, those can be a piece of my definition. But I'm so much more than that. And so are you. And so is everybody else that's listening. Exactly. I don't want to be only known as a mother who is grieving the loss of her only child. You know, I mean, it's a great part of me, you know, and I miss her horribly and everything else. But there's more components to my life than just that, you know. Yeah, I look at women who are my age and say, well, I didn't get to do this with my life because I was a mother. I didn't get to do that because I I used the money to take care of other people. I'm like, you know what? That was a choice. Now you have another choice. There is nothing that my mother started a new career as a cabaret singer at 70 something. Wow. I mean, she was amazing. We're talking full houses and standing ovations. Bravo. That's amazing. There's no reason you can't start whatever, whenever. Well, Olga, we are running out of time. I have so enjoyed talking to you. I always enjoy talking to you. Thank and you. I think that, that our conversation is going to make a difference in some people's lives. Thank you for being here. And remember, folks, the most important thing you can do in your life is you keep on dancing, honey. Cheryl Hopkins here with the Astro Report for March on the Susan Harmon Experience. So, 2020, significant year and a very significant decade. This is the first year of the third decade of the second millennium. Very pivotal time in terms of the ongoing paradigm shift that has been occurring. This year, we are seeing a couple of significant astrological events. We've just had one in January with Saturn and Pluto coming together. We will have the biggest significant aspect happening on winter solstice with Jupiter-Saturn conjoining in Aquarius, introducing air sign, air energy for quite some time. More to be said about that. In the summertime, we're going to see the lunar nodes shift from the Cancer Capricorn that they have been in for what, 18 months, 19 months, into Gemini Sagittarius, along with eclipse activity, moving from Cancer Capricorn into Gemini Sag. So starting to see a changeover. Now, leading uh, that changeover, let us first finish up with the Capricorn Earth energy. So starting the month, we have Mars, Jupiter, Saturn, Capricorn, uh, Pluto, all in Capricorn. Lots been said about Saturn, Pluto in Capricorn, reorganization, revitalization, reinvention, uh, living minimally, pragmatically, okay? The breakdown of existing structures that no longer fit, who we're becoming and what needs to become of who we are, okay? We're seeing that around the world in countries, relationships, and alliances, our political system in the U.S. and in various countries. Certainly you're seeing with the coronavirus, look at the impact that it's having on China. Look how it's spreading around the world. Just at this point, not tangibly, 
but enough to spark fear. A key component of the Capricorn time is a certain sense of ongoing insecurity about, will I be okay? Will I have what I need? Can I get my needs met? Okay, so Saturn-Pluto kind of exacerbating that energy. Jupiter joining that in Capricorn offers the opportunity to expand or to take a leap of faith as it relates to having done the hard work of paring down, of reorganizing and reinventing, and getting a bit of a handle on it, ready to move to the next step ready to introduce an opportunity that can begin to take you forward in this new area or this new way of relating to your day-to-day existence. Mars there. Mars always brings acute, right now, make it happen, focus of of energy, activity, and, and just moving things forward. So with these planets grouped together, ability to take things kind of like to the next step. So we have also the 22nd to the 23rd, we have a few aspects occurring in Capricorn, in Earth sign energy, as well as um, Venus and Neptune having a favorable interaction. And when these two are coming together, it really offers an opportunity to just take a deep breath to just let it go. You know, this is a perfect time to just take a break, man. Mental, physical, emotional, take a break. Whatever recharges you, give it to yourself uh, 22nd, 23rd. You also, on the, in that time frame, we have Mars and Pluto in aspect to each other. This is also a time where there could be some focus push towards really just um, taking control being empowered, standing up to something that has bedeviled you for a period of time. Uh, Jupiter is also in aspect to Mars at this time, really just pushing through any resistance to just, you know, make a very important next step, okay? So we also see that the nodes of the moon uh, start the month at roughly five degrees of Cancer Capricorn. Interestingly, the placement will be around the United States, Jupiter, Venus. Now, Cancer as the North Node in aspect to the USA, Jupiter, Venus, suggests that it's a fantastic opportunity if we can see it, if we can embrace it for healing for being generous of nature, from reconnecting with our ethics, our sense of integrity, having a sense of functioning for the good of all, looking at what what is and how can we make it better for all. Unfortunately, we could also find all of that wonderful intentional energy being viewed through the lens of both sides in their version of what that looks like, which is not exactly the same thing. What we want is understanding we are one. We are together here. We are one, one nation. And so it has to be what's best for all. But as is human nature, it'll all be filtered through the lens of what that looks like to me 
for me. So we'll see, obviously, how that plays out. Um, the other piece is that where Jupiter currently is in the sky is in stress to Saturn and Chiron in the United States chart. And so it suggests that there's an, a real opportunity here to kind of remake our tendency, number one, to be um, the police officer of the planet, the arbiter of right and wrong, when we don't even have a sense of what's right and for ourselves, as indicated by Chiron in Aries in the fourth house. That would suggest that placement that we're having difficulty where our wound is, our national wound is around seeing the gorgeous mosaic, as New York Mayor David Dinkins used to call New York City, with all of its different races and cultures in that one city seeing the United States as one. It is us. And from that, finding a sense of equilibrium and balance as represented by Saturn and Libra in the 10th house. Um, we also see that Mercury is going to go direct this month. We start the month with Mercury in retrograde. In retrograde, in Pisces, if you have planets such as Sun, your Ascendant, Mercury, other planets in Pisces, you might have felt, you know, the infamous delays, um, difficulties, um, unexpected confusion, things of that nature with the Mercury retrograde. But for the rest of us, we've been spared. <laughs> um, on the 10th of the month, Mercury goes direct. It will go direct meaning that it will turn in its orbit from seeming to be going backwards to beginning to move forward in its orbit. At 28 degrees of Capricorn, it has come almost exact to the United States moon, which is at 27 degrees of Capricorn. It's very interesting. So now we're beginning to bring in this air energy of Capricorn really suggesting that a highlight towards how we're thinking around what equality looks like, what our futures look like, how we imagine the, our, our country looking. And interestingly enough, the 10th of the month is one of the primaries. And I think there are like multiple states that are voting that day. And you can be sure that people are gonna be going to the polls thinking about, you know, me, what I need, what's good for the country through that lens of what I need. Saturn on the 23rd of the month will move into Aquarius. Very significant. In the Middle Ages or in traditional interpretation of astrology, Saturn is the ruler of Aquarius. So certain people who have Saturn in Aquarius in their chart are the revolutionaries. So what we're seeing here is sort of Saturnian tendencies and Aquarian tendencies. And how do they play out? Well, Aquarius is about revolution and social change. Populism and socialism, Aquarius versus Saturn, status quo. Saturn is about the here and now, reality, bites. Aquarius is about the future, very future oriented unbounded, being unbounded, not restricted by what I believe, what I do. It's the sign of freedom. Saturn builds things, walls, boundaries, structures, foundations, 
it also tears them down. Aquarius improves things. It's about making it better, about equalizing where there is imbalance amongst groups. It revises things with an eye towards how it can be better down the road. What's really interesting is we're going to see this play out in the national conversation around different versions of what the future looks like. Certainly in this moment, the, we're having quite a lot of conversation around socialism. What does that mean? Lots of fear. What is, what is Saturn? Fear around socialism. And in a lot of cases, this is being blown completely out of proportion. Not to suggest that this is the way that it should go, but just to say that we're bringing so much fear to the table, we can't even begin to even look at these things in an objective, Saturnian, impartial way to see, could there be something in such a system for us right now? Doesn't mean that, you know, that's the whole story, but right now, these are some of the questions that I think that the election is trying to put forth and answer. Some of the candidates, certainly on the Democratic side, and of course, the opponent who will use it to his benefit on the other side. What we're seeing really is that, in general, we're ready for something new. We want something that is going to be fair to everybody. And people are going to have this front of mind, not just in the United States, but all over. The same issues are up in many countries around the, the world where people are looking for change that is meaningful, that encompasses those who are left out, and that desire is coming up against the Saturnian control of the status quo and structure. And of course, Pluto being power, not letting go, and ready to blow up the whole thing if needed. So definitely, uh, uh, what is that saying? May, we may you live in interesting times. That's now. <laughs> so to leave on a positive note, all of this is just energy. How, what you do with it, how you think about it, how you handle it, is what determines what happens for you. So may you have positive thoughts and look to the future. This is Cheryl Hopkins. Check me out on astrologyandpowers.com. Bye for now.